Good morning. I'm Joni Williams. I'm the wife of Matt, the guy that'll talk later. This is not the Matt and Joni show. Somehow it just worked out this way this morning. <laughs> Anyways, I have a wonderful husband. He'll tell you he's not, but he's, he's a wonderful husband. So he's talking about husbands today. Anyways, I get to read the scripture with you this morning. We're doing Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. So join with me up front or in your own Bibles. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Thanks, Joni. This is God's word this morning. I want to say uh, welcome once again. I'm Matt Williams, and I am uh, head of groups for our church. also oversee our men's ministry. Filling in for Brandon as he takes a couple weeks of much-deserved time away. And I hope that he and his family are enjoying the sweating process in Florida. Uh, you think what's hot? I don't know what it is there. It's always a sweating time. Uh, we are into our second part of our series, Marriage God's Way. I want to start it off with a story about a husband and wife, local, driving home from a dinner party one night, driving through Templeton, and as they're going through the town, sheriff car passes them going the opposite direction, and no sooner does he pass them than he hooks a U-turn. And the husband's thinking, uh-oh, was I speeding? I wasn't speeding. What, why would he be turning? Oh, shoot. Realizes he doesn't have his seatbelt on. So he gently reaches up, grabs a little tip, clicks it on, clicks it in gently. And so, sure enough, lights come on, pulls over, sheriff comes up, license, registration. And as the policeman's looking it over, he says, so, uh, officer, what, what's the problem? He said, well, I'm going to have to write you up because uh, you didn't have your seatbelt on. So what? No, I, I have my seatbelt on. Hey, honey, tell him I have my seatbelt on. I mean, I have it now. He goes, now? He said, you see, when I passed you, you didn't have it on. Uh, no, no, I, I've got, honey, tell him, tell him I had my seatbelt on. Officer looks over at the wife, says, did your husband have his seatbelt on? Nothing. Doesn't say a thing. Doesn't even look at the officer. Come on, honey, just tell him. We can all get on with our day here. Why don't you just tell him that I had my seatbelt on? So the officer walks around the front of the car, gets to the woman's side, motions for her, move her window down, and said, we can all be on our way here. Ma'am, if you just answer my question, did your husband have his seatbelt on when we passed? He goes, honey, come on, well, look, just tell him I had my seatbelt on, would you? The officer says, ma'am, I need an answer. 
She says, well, I can tell you one thing. She says, please. She said, I have learned over the years never to argue with my husband when he's drunk. <laughs> There's a marriage in trouble. Well, last week, you know, I almost told that story in the first person, but then I thought, no, I'll be apologizing that for the all. It wasn't, that's not true. I was just kidding around. Last week, we started this two-part series on marriage, and I've got a brief overview for those of you uh, that weren't here last week. But last week, uh, in essence, I kind of gave my own marriage journey overview, uh, and it wasn't pretty. Uh, it hasn't been pretty. A lot of upsides and downsides. Uh, some real big train wrecks, and some of that I'll share. But it's been over a nearly 44-year span. A perfect husband? <laughs> yeah. Talk to my wife before you do that. Uh, not perfect, and of course, far from it. But different, I'm happy to say, thank you, Jesus, different and better than it used to be. Uh, this week, I have a similar goal, and that is to pass along a bit of what I've learned along the way. And hopefully that you'll be able to glean from this having learned from counselors and books, years of experience in marriage ministry. Uh, special thanks this morning to a pastor by the name of Thomas Slager, whose uh, examples I'll use uh, periodically through here. But my hope is that you can learn from some of my mistakes and at the same time help me uh, live on, so to speak, as I share some of my victories that I hope you'll see in your own marriage. But most importantly... My prayer is that you will hear what God's Word has to say to all of us when it comes to building strong relationships, especially marriages. Uh, those of you that weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back to the website and review last week's part one on the series, because last week we focused on wives and a little bit on husbands. This week we are talking about the role of husbands and a little bit on wives as we went through verse 24. So today, as we focus primarily on husbands, we'll pick up at 25 in just a second. But I do want to have this side note for those of you that are single, maybe widowed, or maybe uh, divorced. There's something here for you. Don't tune out and say, you know, this is on marriage. What can I get out of this? God's Word is active. It's alive. And it always has something to say. And it always has to say something personally. Our God is very personal, up close, intimate. There's something here for you. I assure you, if you listen with you in mind, you will hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. Because we're talking about, yes, marriage, but primarily relationships and how that is life for all of us. Because when you really look inside, and we're honest with ourselves, we all have things in our heart that we've got to work on. And if we allow God to work on us on the inside, through His Spirit, through His Word, we're going to see our lives change and in that change, we're going to have a chance to truly strengthen our relationships and influence others around us toward Jesus. So this morning, again, listen with you in mind. There's something in here for you. Okay, so by way of review, to set up what Paul wants us as husbands this morning to hear, it's kind of a repeat of what we talked about last week. Ephesians 5, a part we didn't read, very beginning of the chapter, starts with Paul setting the standard for followers of Jesus. Verse 1, chapter 5 says, be imitators of God, walking in love. And then a number of the next verses, he goes through this list of life choices and lifestyles to avoid. And he's saying, stay away from these. These will draw you away from the Lord. Then it comes to verse 18. He says, instead, 
be filled with the Spirit. And then moves to verse 21, says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here Paul gives us the main ingredient, the one thing we must do to live well with each other. If we're filled with the Spirit, we will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul is talking about the high call of selflessness. Talking about the Holy Spirit in us truly giving us the power and ability to take ourselves out of the center of the picture and truly put our thoughts and ideas on another person's needs. And he says that we do this out of reverence, out of obedience to Jesus. Not because it feels good, but because it's something that we do as obedient to Christ. Paul knows, our first point this morning, Paul knows self-centeredness is the main problem in any marriage. And as you think about it, self-centeredness is the main problem in any marriage, any relationship, any time that you're interacting with another person, whether it's Jesus, your family, your friends, self-centeredness is going to be that one thing that draws you apart. Now, in our context, for marriage, I'd have to come back and say that marriage begins to crumble the moment that somebody decides that they're going to be more selfish than the other person. I don't think that's new to anybody. Selfishness destroys relationships. And here he says that we must walk in the power of the Spirit and not be self-centered so that we can focus on another's needs. And here's the thing. This is the basis for everything else he's about to say on marriage, in chapter 6, what he says on parenting, and then later on on what employers and employees are supposed to be doing. So it's whether or not we're able to submit to one another. So, how do we submit to one another? If this is the basis for everything else that we're about to study, how do we submit to one another? The short answer is surrender. We surrender every aspect and every dimension of our life to Jesus. Your spirit, your mind, your body, your heart, your will, your mind, everything. This is all in. This is a full-time commitment. Because without that, what we're about to talk about will not happen. God in us changing our heart, helping us look at others' needs more than ours. More on that later. Right now, we jump back into our text, picking up where we left off last week. We're on verse 25. Husbands are in the limelight here. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Sounds easy enough, right? Husbands, love your wives? Well, it's not. And we guys need to hear this. Notice this. In all these verses, husbands are told to love their wives. Wives are never told to love their husbands. Why do you think that is? Because we as guys, it's, it's something we need to focus on. It's something we need to be told. Husbands, how many of you know that your wife loves you? I mean, I, I know that certain days my wife doesn't like me very much, but love me? Yeah, I know that. Now, wives, you're told to submit and respect your husbands. But often, guys, that's hard to do because we don't give them good reason to do that. So if we're going to love our wives as Jesus loves the church, and how did Jesus love the church? 
verse 26 says, to sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a glorious church without stain or wrinkle or any such blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, there's a lot here, and we're not going to get too deep into this, so let me just summarize. The words sanctify, cleanse, washed in the word, holy, blameless, all of these have to do with what Christ has done for us. This has to do with him preparing and executing, as it were, his love in advance, then taking action and continuing on in that for his church, for his people. His forethought in caring for all of our needs. His devotion to us, his bride, the church. So the application for husbands, I think we can see the parallel here. We're to devote ourselves to loving our wives by setting them apart from all others. Guys, after Jesus, our wives is, is our number one priority. Hear that again. After our relationship with, with Jesus, our wives are our number one priority. Not our kids, not our career, not our sporting events, our wives. Jesus sacrificed himself for the church, his bride. So that's where we start. Sacrificial love. How did Jesus love his church? With his life. And that's not all because it goes on in verse 28. Paul says, okay, sacrificed his life, but in the same way, husbands, you should love your wife as, their, as your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. So there are the two mandates. We're to love sacrificially, and we're to love our wives as our own body. Okay, so what does that look like? I mean, practically. I want to give you six things that we can do, and if you could do any one of these once a day, it'd be a pretty good start. Number one, and we just talked about it, a husband should love his wife sacrificially, constantly giving of ourselves to our wives. Look for ways to sacrifice your time. I know you have an agenda. I know you have things to do. But at the same time, think about what you can do in giving your time to her. Offer more help. Think of her needs. Remember how we started all this? Self-centeredness is the cancer that breaks down a marriage. Next, number two here. Husbands should love their wives with a servant's heart. Jesus came to serve. We are to serve our wives. Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So husbands, your day does not end when you get home because your wife's day, more than likely, doesn't end when you get home. Serve. Ask her. Honey, what can I, what can I do to help? I'll bet you some of you think, sitting right here right now can think about something you can do, you know you can do, to help. Do that. Serve your wife. If you have kids, most of the time, what does help mean? Take care of the kids for a while, would you? How about when the house finally gets quiet? Instead of turning on the TV every single night, once in a while, sit down with your wife and ask her, how was your day? And then really listen Really listen to her response. Don't try and solve her problems unless she asks. Develop the art of listening. 
Because that in and of itself is an act of serving her need to be heard. Number three, we talked about this earlier. How did Christ love his church? How should we as a husband love our wives? Selflessly. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is encouraging. As it says, notice, we can look to our own interests, but not as our first choice. Husbands, are you constantly thinking how to love your wife? Find out what she says helps her feel loved. Find out what she says causes her to feel cherished. How can I give her what she needs? Questions we need to be asking and finding the answers for. Some of it's just asking her. It's not thinking less of yourself. I'm such a terrible person. It's just thinking of yourself less, as in, what else can I do? Number four, love your wife unconditionally. That's how, the Christ, that's how Christ loved the church. We who follow him, he loves us unconditionally. Romans 8.39, Paul goes through all these things that cannot separate us from God's love. And he wraps up that verse when he says, I'm convinced that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You realize there is absolutely nothing that you can do to make Jesus not love you. That's unconditional love. And husbands, does your wife know that about your love? Does she know and do you show her that if she were to speak an unkind word or if she were to somehow mess things up terribly at the house or let you down, that at the end of the day you would still love her? Really love her? That's how we're to love. That's how Jesus loves us. That's how we're to love our wives, unconditionally. Number five, a husband should love with tender authority. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, here it is again, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Do not be harsh with them. Guys, this is where I blow it still to this day too often. My wife will ask something as simple as, hey, will you uh, help me with this thing after a while? It's like, nope. Yeah, that's harsh. That's rude. There's so many other ways I could say that. I mean, because in that way, it's shutting her down. It's cutting her off. My tone alone says, end of subject, termination of conversation. We are done here. All in the way that I say and the tone I use of, nope, you don't matter. I mean, that's my example, but I think you know yours. Don't be harsh. It's wrong. Number six, final in our list here, a husband should nourish and cherish his wife. Verse 29 says this, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Nourish here in Greek means effectively nurture, which didn't help me at all. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to effectively nurture. I don't know what that means. 
So how does a husband effectively nurture or nourish his wife? Does your presence, your attitude, your state of mind create an environment in your home where your wife can flourish? Husbands, is that the environment that your presence is creating in your home? Does your wife feel more safe when you come home or when you leave? Do you bring calm and peace when you enter your home? Ask a few questions. Honey, do you feel free or stifled by me? Do you feel protected, supported by me? Do you feel like you can grow into the woman of God that God's asking you to be the way that I run the home? I know the answer in my home. And I still have to work at it. Do you know the answer in your home? Ask her. Because there were many times that my wife would have answered, no, no, not all the time. Husbands, we need to lead sacrificially, with a servant's heart, selflessly, unconditionally, with tender authority so as to nourish and cherish her. That's it. And if that weren't enough, back to our text, verse 31. Therefore, as a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. What? This mystery, what mystery? He's talking about this mystery of a man and woman becoming joined as one flesh, one union, one person. This mystery is profound, and Paul's saying that it refers to Christ in the church in this way. As, the, as Christ came, he rescued us. And as he rescued his people, he brought us together, made us one body, his body, by the power of his spirit. And that's what marriage is supposed to look like. It's, again, it's an example of the gospel. It's supposed to be this perfect image of the gospel. That's the purpose of marriage. Companionship, sure. Procreation, sure. But its purpose is that people will see your relationship and see the love of Christ on display. That every single time they see you, they see compassion between the two of you. They see forgiveness. They see this mercy. The fact that you are extending grace and love in the hard times and the good times where two people are a great example of Christ in love with his church with each other. And Paul ends this verse, verse 33. However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Here's the kicker. This is the longest teaching on marriage in the entire Bible. And Paul boils it down to this. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husband. There's a whole book written around this one verse. came out a number of years ago. Uh, the uh, author is Dr. Emerson Egerich. wrote the book, Love and Respect. Listen to the subtitle. The love she most desires, the respect he desperately needs. I pulled a couple images from this book because 
it illustrates what happens when a husband doesn't get the respect he needs and a wife doesn't get the love she needs. And it's what creates what he calls the crazy cycle. And if you've been married for any length of time, I think you're going to see how this works. The husband has a bad day. And so how does he react? Comes in, he's grumpy, self-centered. He reacts without love. He's self-focused, not thinking about her day. And because the wife isn't treated with love after her day, how does she react? She responds without respect. And, of course, because the man doesn't feel respected, how does he respond? He responds without love. And because she's... And on and on it goes. This is the cycle we get into and we find ourselves. In fact, as I would go as far as to say that reoccurring fight you have, whatever that fight's about, this is what causes it. The thing you keep returning to because you're on this cycle. You're looking for the love you're not getting. You're looking for the respect you're not getting. And so on and on it goes. And wives, I know you may say, well, I would give him the respect he deserves as he gave me the love I need. And husbands, well, maybe I'd give her the love she needs. You know, she'd give me the respect working all day, trying to put food on the table. Here's where Dr. Emerson Egerich says, somebody has to stop the cycle. Husbands, we're to lead. We're the head of the family. Let's lead the way off this crazy cycle. How? Dr. Egerich has this coaching tip for all of us. It's what he calls the energizing cycle. And it's the exact opposite of the crazy cycle. Husbands, your love, your love for your wife will motivate respect, what you say and you do. Wives, the respect you show and the words that you use, your husband, it will, mot it will motivate love. This respect you show your husband will motivate love in his heart. And you know, this isn't just Dr. Egerich's point of view. This is how God designed us. It's the way God has wired us. And that's why Paul, through the insight of the Holy Spirit, says these things. Husbands, love your wives. You'll get the respect. And wives, respect your husbands where you can, when you can, and you'll get that love that you need. And all of this goes back to verse 21 where we started. We do this out of reverence to Jesus. Okay, husbands. We're wrapping up, so let's do a reality check. Many of you are probably thinking that you have been leading your wife. I, I thought I was leading my wife, when in reality, when you start listening to what I'm talking about here, you're beginning to recognize you've been dominating your wife. You haven't been leading your home in a way that's gracious or kind. Kind of recognize you've been harsh, you've been brash, rude at times and in some cases, just a bully. And then maybe there's some of you on the other end of that spectrum where you haven't even led. Fact is, you haven't dominated. You've just completely deferred all leadership and authority over to your wife. Yeah, too busy. That's also wrong. And maybe neither of those camps apply to you, but too many husbands have retreated into the garage to work on projects. Some have lost themselves in sports. Others leave the home and recreate too often. While others video game for hours, 
Others binge on streaming shows. Some are deep and involved in alcohol, pot, pornography. And wives, I hear you. Maybe you're in agreement here and you're saying, yeah, that's it. He's supposed to be the leader. And if he would act like it, I would probably follow. Well, from my perspective, if that's you, let me share something that your husband probably can't put into words. I couldn't at some point in my life. He needs your help. Remember last week I referred to Genesis 2, 18. This is where God's creating the woman. This is before sin came into the world. This is a perfect world. This is a perfect man, Adam. And yet it says in 2.18 that God created woman as a helper for the man. And a lot of you wives say, yeah, boy needs help. If you want him to lead, would you be so kind as to let him know with gentleness and respect what you need? And I'm not talking about a list of things to do, but rather examples of what he could do that would make you feel led, not dominated, but led and loved. For example, let him know that you love it when he encourages you. Give him a couple examples of what that sounds like. Let him know what makes you feel loved. I didn't know. I had to learn. I had to ask Let him know what will help you and cause you to feel supported. And give him time to learn it. It won't be perfect, but please recognize the effort. Husbands, I'm giving your wives a few examples, but I'm saying to you, don't leave it to her. It's not her role. If you're stuck, can't figure out how or what the next step is, go back to our list of how to love your wife. You have a tremendous influence on your, li- well, on your life. You have a tremendous influence on your wife. And you're either leading her toward Christ or something else. And I assure you that something else is probably selfish and it's going to be destructive. Marriage your way, self-centered way. Marriage the world's way, the marriage the culture's way brings toxic results and long-lasting ugly consequences. And I know, guys, at some point you're thinking, man, Matt, you are pouring it on pretty thick with all this judgment and condemnation. That is not what this is. This is a warning. Please learn from my mistakes. Listen to God's words. Galatians 6, 8. God cannot be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. I've traveled this hard road. I've experienced the hard consequences of self-centered living, and I hurt my wife all along the way. But by the grace of God, the grace and love of God, a wife's love and forgiveness, and the passage of time I've been rebuilding ever since. I am not the perfect husband. But I do want to say man to man, is it truly judgmental and condemnation? If you were to shout at a five-year-old running toward a busy street, stop! Or is it really practical and timely counsel? If you're feeling beat up, I know that feeling. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit using his word to show you what he wants you to work on. Take heart. He's talking to you. 
We are made to lead, sacrificially, with strength, and purpose. So husbands, if you really want a marriage God's way, Christ has to be at the center of your marriage. And that's not going to happen until he's first at the center of your life. And I don't mean you believe in him. I mean you totally surrender to Jesus. Every aspect and dimension of your life. Nothing really changed in my life until I totally surrendered to Jesus. Everything you think, say, and do. The kind of surrender that Jesus talks about in Matthew 16, 25. For whoever wants to save their life, do it their way, in other words, be selfish and centered, will lose it. But whoever loses their life, sacrificial living, for me, will find it. Surrender your right to yourself. Self-centeredness is a destructive dead end. Self-centeredness is a destructive dead end. Self-sacrifice is the way. It's Jesus' way. He sacrificed himself. It's the way to find yourself and where you'll find yourself. Of course, your true self is in him and who he says you are. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Without a commitment like that, just shooting straight, without a commitment like that, what we're talking about, it can't happen. God in you, changing your heart. Now, I know this can be overwhelming. Some of you guys are going, too much. (laughs) Can't do it. And I would agree with you. If you think you have to do all of this all at once, it doesn't work that way. Nothing works that way. Exercise. You go to the gym, come back, look in the mirror, nothing changed. You go the next day, work out, come back, look in the mirror, nothing changed. It's the commitment. It's saying, I am going to continue to do this. And it's all about baby steps. When you allow Jesus into your life to direct you, to rule over you, to guide you, he will point out what he wants you to work on. That's for sure. Be encouraged. It's always a little at a time. I love this verse out of Matthew 12 because I really need this. He reassures us that he's gentle. He says, a bruised reed, he's quoting Isaiah about himself. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In other words, Jesus will not kick you when you're down. He is for you. He's for your marriage. It's his idea. Why wouldn't he be working in you to move in that direction? Jesus will work with us right where we are to help us become more like him. So husbands, start with baby steps. Now I'm about to list a few more things to be practical, to be helpful. But remember, everything I'm about to talk about, you do in baby steps. Be active in your relationship with Jesus. Be intentional. Do something different about how you're getting to know Jesus. Read and meditate on his word. 10 chapters a day. No! Don't do that to yourself. Read some of God's word. Meditate on it. Think about what he's saying about himself, about you. Commit yourself to prayer. One hour a day. No! Throughout the day. Lord, I'm having trouble with this. Help me. But commit yourself to prayer. 
and be in the community of believers often, not just going to church. You may need one of the Christian support groups that we have here. At the very least, a men's group. Work on the things that are tripping you up. It might be your anger. It might be some hurts and hang-ups from your past. It may be pornography. It may be alcohol. It may be that you're hooked on pot. We have help, and what we can't help you with, we can always suggest and recommend where you can get help. Listen to this. Healthy relationships, all healthy relationships, are built on your strong relationship with Jesus. Healthy relationships are built on your strong relationship with Jesus. You are not able to change the other person in your relationship. Only Jesus can do that. That's why we're talking about being devoted to prayer. Pray, or pray for your spouse. But you can let God work on you. God wants to work on our hearts. Changes from the inside out. In closing, listen to this. Marriage is this beautiful creation. And it's meant to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see it? He sacrificed his life for ours as we're to sacrifice our life for each other. He provides grace, mercy, and forgiveness unconditionally, as should we for our spouse. He pursues us. He cherishes us. He loves us. And that's our model for marriage. His love received brings new life and we become one with him. And in marriage, love given, love received, we become one with each other. It's a beautiful thing. He only established, he being God, only established three things that would rule all of life. Marriage, the church, and the state. It's important. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, without you in our life, we're powerless to change our own heart. We can change our mind, we can change our attitude, we can change our appearance, but only you can change our heart. Oh Lord Jesus, work in us. I pray that you would strengthen the marriages here this morning. I pray that you would work on the inside. Lord, I know that as you draw us closer to you, as we focus on our relationship with you and you draw us closer, we'll supernaturally grow closer to our spouse because you're changing us, filling us with your love, showing us how to love. Do that, Jesus. Help us remain in you and you remain in us so that we're full of your love and we're able to share it with our spouse and the world. And in the big picture, Lord, in all relationships, help us invest in the one that's most important with you so that your spirit fills us and your love splashes out on all others that we encounter. So in your precious name, Jesus, amen. Right now we're about to move into communion time. And I would ask that you reflect on your relationship, yes, with your spouse, but all of your relationships. Are there some that you need to repair? Are there some that you need to shore up? Are there some that maybe need triage and others that need surgery? Take it before the Lord. Ask him to start doing a work there.
I want to say something that's really important right now. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this communion we're about to move in, that's, that's not for you. Communion is a representation of what Jesus did. And you're celebrating the fact he did it in your life. If you don't know Jesus and you want to, that's something that God would want for you. He came, he died for you, shed his blood to wash away your sin. All you have to do is invite him in. Ask him to start doing that work in your heart. Get involved here so that we can help you in that journey and let us know that you take that step. Those of you who are about to take communion because you're believers, let me warn you, Paul is very careful to to point out, don't take this communion if you're not clean with all those relationships. First and foremost with God and with those that you love and know. Fact is, they say, if you're at the altar and you remember that somebody has something against you, leave that sacrifice at the altar and go make it right before that. Some of you may not, uh, I should say, maybe some of you shouldn't take communion this morning. If you know that there's something someone out there has against you and you both are still working through it and it's really hard and there's something you can do about it and you haven't, I'd take that before the Lord. Don't take communion without being clean before Him, first and foremost, and inside your own heart. And for those of you that are about to bow your head and look at your soul before the very God that created you, ask Him, where do you need to shore up some of the relationships? Ask Him for the courage and the grace and the mercy to do that. Let's spend some time in prayer.